familiarize yourself with basic constructs of the Black American experience. So that when you go into your workplace, Zooms, or your children's classrooms, or wherever you go as white people in this country, you are not showing up with such blatant ignorance as to make this work and this mo this potential opportunity, which I do see this moment as, I truly see this as a potential opportunity, probably for the first time in America's entire history, post-emancipation, to have any honest truth and reconciliation as a nation. Okay, and I say truth and reconciliation inextricably linked because reconciliation will never be possible without starting from a place of truth. Hello and welcome to Acting Up, the podcast that dives deep into the world of TV and film that highlights our people, our communities, and our stories. I'm your host, Courtney Wills, Entertainment Director at The Grio, and this week we're speaking with Ebony K. Williams. We're gonna get into all the drama we've seen going down on season 13 of Real Housewives of New York and talk about why it took 13 seasons to get a black woman on this show. We'll also talk about all of the madness that Heather Thompson is serving up lately how Ebony is handling ladies like Luann and Ramona Singer, why she loves Sonia Morgan so much, and what she's really setting out to do here on this reality TV show. Ebony's actually been taking a little break from social media over the past two weeks because she was anticipating just how heavy and controversial the last couple of episodes would have been, and boy, was she Right. Luckily, she is back from her hiatus and the shenanigans are already starting. Just last night, I read a report where Heather Thompson was basically accusing Ebony of being a race baiter. And of course, I think that I and so many others would beg to differ with that analysis of this brilliant woman who is taking on a pretty major task in trying to educate and enlighten this group of women who sometimes seems like they think they have nothing to learn. Ebony is so many things, but if nothing else, she is just smart as a whip. And she has gone into this season with a strategy, you guys. She's not just in there letting cameras follow her, you know, being fabulous and, you know, having cocktails and brunch with these women. Like she's actually doing something. And it's the first time in a long time where I felt like what I was watching on Housewives franchise was actually kind of important. We are also going to get into what actually went down between her and this ex-fiance that we kind of heard about during her intro to the show, but I know that it sounded kind of crazy to me when the explanation was that she ended an engagement because her fiance wanted to quarantine with his kids instead of her. I thought that that was like a really jarring introduction to this woman and it made it sound like she was just this heartless chick who didn't care about her future stepkids. And that is so not what happened, you guys. I'm so glad that she trusted me and you enough to open up about the details of that split and why, you know, she really needed to prioritize herself. I really wanted to have Ebony here. Of course, you probably know she is a very talented lawyer. She is a podcast host. She is a journalist. She is a TV show host. So, 
you know, she has a lot of talents, but we haven't really heard exactly why she wanted to take those talents to the small screen in this way, in this forum. And I think it's really interesting what she's doing. So take a listen to what she had to say. Man, oh man, what a week for me to talk to you after last night's episode. I am still running it through my brain. I'm so floored. It's a lot to process. And it's at this point, I think I I saw the episode that aired last night, maybe six or seven times. And every time I see it, there's something new that you recognize or pay attention to and realize there's even more to unpack. So, yeah. Oh, gosh. Okay. Well, let's back up before we get to that, because there will be no controlling my mouth once we get there. Oh, I love. <laughs> but I mean, kicking off. So acting up, don't know if you're familiar. It's our latest podcast on the Grio. And really, you know, when I set out to do it, never did I think that I would ever have a reality star on because the point mm-hmm. of this podcast is to really highlight the Black folks in the industry who are elevating the conversation, moving the needle when it comes to representation, taking on roles that have impact or that matter or that push against what we're so used to. And then Mm -hmm. here you come on Mm -hmm. a franchise that is just so powerful and so huge. Mm -hmm. And I have to say that although you're not acting you are, you know, you certainly fall into the criteria of someone raising the bar and changing the conversation, particularly around representation of Black women in reality TV, and even more specifically on Bravo. Like, we have never seen you before. We have never gotten this level of realness. Like, Ebony, you are giving us so much, like, oh, so much. You are in all of our brains, finally. Thank you. You are so bringing it and so repping, I think, for Black women everywhere. And I just, I couldn't be happier. And I wondered for you, you're a journalist, you are a lawyer, like you are a smart woman who knows how this game goes. What gave you the audacity to think that you could come on and represent like this? Yeah, well, A, sis, thank you for for all of those flowers, because, you know, this is, this is lonely work. This is trying work. This is exhausting emotionally and physically work, right? Mm -hmm. So it it can't be overstated how important and valuable it is for me, like deeply emotionally, to get loved on and affirmed and in conversation and engagement with my people. So thank you for that. To your question, I will be very specific. A, I'm an audacious person audacious in everything that I do. I am also an extremely intentional person, right? So I, throughout my career in broadcast, which now has been about 10 years after I left the traditional practice of law, right? For the past 10 years, I've been in national broadcast spaces. Every job I've ever elected to take is always centered on one thing and one thing only, and that is my ability to reach that particular audience, right? So start my career in really conservative talk radio out in Los Angeles with the intention of breaking through and reaching that audience. Then I go into really sports. My first TV job, a lot of people don't realize, was at the NFL Network 
um, disrupting kind of, and I worked on the NFL Network specifically as a legal analyst. So doing a couple of things there, right? Disrupting the traditional limited roles of women in sports casting and Black women in particular, and really demonstrating a type of Black womanhood and a type of just womanhood that was very much the authority in the space. Right. And that's something that sports audiences are not accustomed to because we don't offer that to them. And then eventually landing on cable news at a variety of networks, CNN, uh, Fox News, uh, HLN, and then uh, some hard news at CBS News. So all of it was that intention. Then pivoting right after I left uh, FNC in 2019, 18, going to revolt. Right. And going to stay of the culture, which a lot of people were like, what in the world is that? You know, for me, it made so much sense, Courtney, because at that point in my career, where is my voice, my ability to deconstruct, break down and deliver clear, concise, credible analysis? Right. Which is what I do, particularly around law and social justice and uh, legislation and policy. Where in the hell is that more needed at this particular moment than for young Black audiences? So Revolt made all the sense in the world and say of the culture made even more sense because a lot of this shit I'm trying to do, and that's what's going to lead me to Housewives, right? Because everybody thought I was crazy, again, for wanting to go and do uh, Bravo, reality TV, and Real Housewives of New York in particular, right? For all the obvious reasons. But it was like, no, that is the only kind of reality TV that would ever make sense for me. It's the kind that creates an opportunity for me to do something enormous. If I'm not going to do something enormous in the space, I might as well not be there. So that was the intention. So now it's where is my ability to transcend every trope, every stereotype, do some implicit education, while although very clearly it's not my job or responsibility, if it's my gift, though, right? If it's my gift, why not serve in that space? And that's really spiritual for me. So those are kind of the, the, the thoughts <laughs> as to my movements in the industry and how I will always continue to move. Yes. Oh my gosh. Ebony, you hit on so many things that are so important. And I think the word disruptive mm-hmm. is just so appropriate for exactly what it is that you're doing over on Bravo, over on this show in particular. I mean, I've been covering housewives of all sorts. I mean, of course I'm at the Grio Mm -hmm. now, but prior to that, you know, I've been at mainstream outlets. So it wasn't just Atlanta, you know, it's not just the married to medicine crowd, although I've been covering those since their inceptions, it started with, you know, Orange County Mm -hmm. and Beverly Hills and New York. Like these are the OGs that really, you know, the other ones came right. later. Seeing women who look like us happened pretty late in the Bravo success mm-hmm. story. You know, they didn't start with this. And I never really thought that anyone would burst that New York bubble. Garcelle was easier to swallow because it's Beverly Hills and she's, and a, she's star, a star, you know, and all yeah. of them. All of those women in some way, especially if you're kind of an insider, you understand that they have real connections to Tinseltown aside from Housewives. Whereas Mm -hmm. the New York cast, we didn't know any of them until they became Housewives of New York. Even Bethany and her incredible, I'm sorry, I have mixed opinions about Bethany, but no one can really dispute that amazing like transcendence from where she started on, you know, season one of New York and and how she has evolved professionally. But none of those women really had anything going for me. They weren't on my radar Mm -hmm. until they were housewives. 
And then here you come and you are so accomplished and you have a voice and you have a following. And what was clear to me actually is just how intentional you have been with all of this. When I'm watching you on the screen, I am watching someone who is exercising so much composure where those curveballs, you know, for 10 years, however, more than that now, however many years this has been going on, no one has demonstrated the level of composure that you have. And like, that can't just be luck. Like, and you're also, I'm assuming not sitting there loaded up with Xanax. Like clearly you have emotion, <laughs> no. right? But you're being intentional. You're being strategic with the way that you are representing yourself. And I want to know, like, A, I want to, I want to point that out. If, if there are listeners here who think this is all just, you know, happenstance, it's, it's not, you know, there's not just cameras on the wall and you all are, you know, walking around and they catch what they catch. There's a whole mm-hmm. business and a whole operation going. And I, I just can't really fathom how you are maintaining that level of intention and composure with all these curveballs that are being thrown at you. Yeah. And, and the curveballs really tend to come in the form of macro or microaggressions. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's what I mean when I say, when you watch like episodes five and six over and over again, and um, spoiler alert, this isn't even close to the last time as audience members, you will see these, these insanely difficult conversations. Um, there, there are a handful more of them throughout the season. And, and it is kind of like, you know, you're in a Marvel movie or something and you're having to just put up your hands and try to, you know, catch what you catch and deflect what you can around the intense level and repetition of the aggressions. A couple things. It's it's about my natural temperament to some extent. It's also a bit about it is totally strategic, Courtney. So yeah, your your instincts are spot on about that. I want to say this. I want to say that my castmates are very different than Garcelle's castmates, right? And Garcelle and I talk. Garcelle and I talk. Crystal Kong Minkoff and I talk. Dr. Tiffany Moon on Dallas and I talk. So I live for all of them by the. Way later, we could just talk about how fast. Yeah, so we've kind of created a little bit of a sorority within a sorority as housewives because we're all doing different Mm -hmm. but very similar work by way of integrating these historically white series and franchise. So, you know, my strategy is rooted in the fact that I've also been a fan of Roni, right? I've watched these women for 13 years and I know a bit about two things, Courtney. I know about television. And I know about navigating spaces that are hostile to my existence, <laughs> okay? And I yes. know that not from just TV. I know that from my, my practice in law. I know that from my participation in mainstream pageantry. I know that from my participation in newsrooms. So when you bring the cumulative, if, hell, I know that from my experience as a, a, an undergraduate student at a predominantly white university, one they write now today is in national headlines because of its hostility to offer a tenure uh, to the Pulitzer Prize winning journalist, the MacArthur genius, sister Nicole Hannah-Jones. Okay, so I know about this work. This is my life's work. I am not new to this shit. So when you see what's going on on Roni, know that I'm classically trained in the art of oral advocacy and in the art of listening and really oral argument. That's, that's what we do as lawyers. And I was happy to be a national champion on it. You know, shout out to Loyola Law. 
So I know, so I, so I know <laughs> what I'm doing on that front. The other part is going back to the spirituality. Some of this is truly a gift that I didn't ask for or do anything to deserve. A lot of this, what you're seeing, Courtney, is literally my mama's prayers at work. And I'm very, I'm, I'm, I'm about to be real auntie-ish, but it's a true thing. But I don't think it's talked about enough. You know, it's really important, I believe, for each one of us to assess what our spiritual gifts are. You know, what has God given us each uniquely that gives us a benefit, an access point, a tool to be successful in the variety of spaces in which we occupy in this world? And for me, I learned very early on, for some damn reason, I have an innate ability to sit in space um, as the lone Black woman and navigate very, very successfully. And that's what you're seeing at Play on Learning, is what I can tell. It is. And I mean, gosh, I can relate to so much of that. I went to Northwestern undergrad, same. I grew up in a predominantly white neighborhood. You know, I was one of a handful of people of color in my graduating class. So yeah, like this is built a lot of us. I will say a lot of us who are visible. Right. And I don't even Mm -hmm. do social media. I don't even I wouldn't have known you were doing a Twitter hiatus because I don't do Twitter. No shade against Twitter, but it's just not my bag. Right. But those of us whose voices are amplified for whatever reason that they are. A lot of us can relate to that because what it took to get here was a lot of, I don't want to say looking the other way, but I do want to say a lot of digging deep to understand that some people who are problematic truly do not realize that they are. And like that Mm -hmm. at some point or that you have to pick your battles if you want to play in the school, right? If you want to be in the yeah. And I see you picking your battles on the show. And Mm -hmm. I think that, I mean, I have the privilege at the GRIO to constantly address a very black readership. And that is so Mm -hmm. amazing. And that is such a blessing. And at the same time, there is a huge part of that readership who got to grow up surrounded by black folks and didn't necessarily have to cultivate the same kinds of skills that it takes, the art, as you say, of navigating these predominantly white spaces. But when you know, you know. So I know that I and so many other people are watching you and it's recognizing that game that you are playing. We are watching you playing. I've never seen that game played on TV. I've experienced it, I've related to it. I've never seen it. And in that sense, that's almost an even more profound, uh, you know, leap for representation because it's not just about you representing for Black women, but it's you representing a very specific experience and maybe even requirement, like a silent requirement that that we've all kind of had to meet and and we've never really had the space or the language to talk about. Now there's all this revolution. Now it's okay to say, you know, there's not enough black people on Bravo or the black people on Bravo are (laughs) represented in a crazy way. Like we're allowed to call this shit out that we weren't calling out when we were living it, you know? And so seeing it now is just so eye-opening to me and um, I think it's important, like you said, you know, it's not your job to educate these women. It's not your job to educate this audience, but if you have that mm-hmm. gift, it's important to use it. And I think that that's 
that's something that's getting a little bit lost in our fight right now. And maybe it's just because of where we are in the timeline. But after George Floyd, you know, amid all of this unrest, the crazy election, all of that, we got very comfortable making it clear that that is not our job. Yes. And I yes. think that the movements and what's been happening have, have, have created a place where com difficult conversations like these are actually quite necessary and we're walking away from them mm -hmm. in our real life. We're saying now, I don't have time for you anymore. And I think that's okay. I wanna be really clear. I really do uh, mm -hmm. fully support the position of, I don't, girl, I got to go to work. I have mouths to feed. I have hair to deep condition. I do not have yes. time to be sitting up here talking to you about Baldwin and Du Bois and everything else that you should have learned along your your your, yes. your route, right? Which is exactly yep. why mm -hmm. in the wake of, of the killing of, a uh, murder rather, of Brother Floyd and the race revolution, if you will, of 2020 summer, I put together a curriculum for these white folks. If you go to my Instagram page, which I'm not logged into during this hiatus, but it's still there. Uh, go to my Instagram page, okay. go to my Twitter account. You will see I created a white people's homework assignment. It is a curriculum. Yes, I went. I took the time to say, wow. um, I have a bachelor's in black studies. I know my own lived experience as a black woman. I know this shit inside out and learn it more every day. I just got back from Tulsa where I learned even more, right? So here's the deal. I'm gonna tell y'all, and I, girl, I, I broke it down into two levels, basic and, and intermediate. Uh, start where you need to. I'm very serious, okay? Uh, Not intermediate. Uh, yes, maybe one day we'll do advanced. But anyway, um, or maybe I did call it advanced, but it really truly is just intermediate. Anyway. For the Heather. Right. For the girl, Heather's don't even. Glory. We'll put a pin in that. Okay. And on the list and on the curriculum, everything is, 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 is free to do. Uh, most of it, because we were still in the, in the deep into the pandemic and quarantine. Most everything was either a Netflix doc or an Amazon Prime doc. I am not your Negro, James Baldwin. Um, Ava DuVernay's Juneteenth. Basic, uh, not Juneteenth, uh, the thir 13th rather. Basic articles that you can Google Dr. King's letter from Birmingham jail. You know, things to just superficially familiarize yourself with basic constructs of the Black American experience. Um, so that when you go into your workplace, Zooms, or your uh, children's classrooms, or wherever you go as white people in this country, you are not showing up with such blatant ignorance um, as to make this work and this mo this potential opportunity, which I do see this moment as, I truly see this as a potential opportunity, probably for the first time in America's entire history, post-emancipation, to have any honest truth and reconciliation as a nation. Okay, and I say truth and reconciliation inextricably linked because reconciliation will never be possible without starting from a place of truth. And what you see going back to Roni is the black woman, Courtney, insistent, absolutely insistent on starting from a place of truth. You are starting from a place of truth and you are, I think, I mean, I think opening eyes over there like I when I saw that you were going to be a part of this I was actually like okay the fireworks are going to happen with Ramona mm -hmm. that's who I thought everybody did would. everybody did mm -hmm. I you know I just expected that but I I have to say that number one what we've seen from Luann does not surprise me in the least woke Sonia surprises me <laughs> I'm not gonna lie like 
I, I thought she would pull a, I'm sure you're watching Beverly yes. Hills. Like I thought she would be, Sutton, oh, right? Like that's what I thought, but no, woke Sonia, I am very here for, super appreciate where she is coming from. And then when I really think about it, I'm not surprised if you think about her genuine and authentic um, personality, right. how she's kind of always been at her core, how supportive and how much she's wrapped her arms around the LGBTQ community. Indeed. Like that it's actually not at all surprising, sure. but it, it, it wasn't my first thought, but I think you're bringing them around. You know, last night's episode, if you're caught up, we are, whoy, we've been in the Hamptons. We have been calling people angry black women. We have been- Calling people articulate. Oh my, okay. I can't yes. like the scream that I let out last oh. night when she said that woke my children up out of bed. <laughs> I couldn't, I mean, I was yelling. I couldn't believe yeah. it. I was floored. It was hilarious. And then also just so like, they're fucking with us, right? right. Like this is, um, this was editing. Like there's no way she is like proving the point. So like with no idea that she is doing it, mm -hmm. but oh my gosh, like Karening on a million, like the reluctant Karen. Well, like maybe well, right. And in, in some ways, <laughs> I think that lesson is not getting enough attention, at least not yet, right? Because here is the thing, and and this is not about Heather Thompson as an individual, but let's use her as a as a as a model for what, like you're saying, she's ex she's exemplifying just how deeply intrinsic these presumptions of blackness and black womanhood really are. So much so that Heather, as she stated, self-proclaimed uh, doer of the work, self-proclaimed ally to Black people, self-proclaimed familiar with Black lens through her work with Beyonce, Child, and Puff. I'm going to leave that right there. Let's move forward. Uh, and, and yet and still, right? Yet and still, despite all of that effort, intention, and um, energy that she really expresses around her commitment to have this very particular kind of white woman relationship with black folks, which she's very proud of, still falls into the most natural space of defaulting to calling me articulate after, you know, I just simply do what I do, which is uh, precisely and intentionally express my feelings, thoughts, and emotions. And not only calling me articulate, the best part about it was that it was has any good job, but that's, let's remember first it's good job. Okay. Thanks coach. I guess, uh, good job. And has anyone ever told you, you are very articulate, which, you know, I'm like, well, you know, let me think maybe it was my prolific career as a respected attorney. No, no, no. Maybe it was my national broadcasting career, or maybe it was the best selling book I wrote. But I'm pretty sure somewhere along the way, my dear, someone acknowledged not only that I was articulate, because to me, that's really not even saying en enough, that I am a skilled and talented oral communicator and, and, and just gifted public speaker. Yes, I've been told. Ebony, I was, I thought she was going to pat you on the and head. Might as well pat, right? I mean, it was, it was a lot, so. And, you know, it was equally, truly, actually. It was equally like hysterical 
and fright and actually frightening if you really think about how how problematic it is the you know we know we know how to deal with like racist women right mm-hmm. like we know how to deal with like the I don't want you in my space. I don't want you to be here. I hate you type of women. We know how to deal with the, I don't see color Mm -hmm. crowd. That's a different kind of problem. But what we saw in that episode last night to me is is one of the most kind of frustrating problems. Mm -hmm. And that is the white folks who are convinced they are not in this. Like this doesn't apply to me. And not only that, I'm going to lead by example. Right. I am so woke as, as we heard, you know, Heather assert so many times, mm-hmm. you know, because she worked with Puffy and she worked with Beyonce and her friend couldn't get a cab even though he was wearing Gucci because he was black. Uh, she knows the struggle, right? right? right. The, the plight of black people not being able to hail a cab even though we're wearing Gucci. Um, she gets the pain of that. But even further, she still holds this, I mean, maybe because I'm a journalist, but like articulate is so disgusting Mm, because she was so surprised. Hey, good job. Like you don't even need, I didn't even need the for a black girl. It's like, you can like read and talk all by yourself, Ebony. Good girl. And and you're really, you're really good at it. Uh, which, uh, you know, uh, uh, cookie. Yeah. Like you said, I don't know, maybe I should be a lawyer or maybe I should write like a best-selling book or something. I don't know. Thanks Heather. It was a lot of that, but, um, you know, it's, it's, it's stay tuned. It's more to come. You know, I think it's more to come. And I think this, I want to also be clear, Courtney, it wasn't like my goal was to set out and join this cast and like set these microaggressive traps for these women to fall into. Um, I, I, you know, I also, part of this was to have some fun, right? Like, sure, be a housewife, go on trips, go to dinners, have some fun. This will be great. It's just unfortunate that, you know, where some of my castmates are, we, we are having to start at such a, uh, what's the word? Um, remedial, remedial level of baseline establishment of trying to just see each other as women so that at some point, eventually this season, which we do eventually get to, thank God, um, a place where we can do that other normal housewife shit, which is have the yeah. fun and have the cocktails and have the kiki and do all the fun housewivesy shit. But as Sonia mm-hmm. Morgan, and, and I will say, I actually wouldn't even call Sonia woke, and I don't think Sonia would call herself woke. What Sonia is, to me, is better than woke. She knows enough to know what she doesn't fucking know. And in doing mm-hmm. so, what she says is, I'm going to fall back. I'm going to listen to this Black woman tell about her experience and what she needs from, I'm going to ask her. And Sonia did that. I don't know if some of it was on or off camera. Ebony, what do you need from me? What can mm. I do to make this experience better for you? That's for wow. me, Courtney, that's better than woke every day of the week. Just, just, yeah. just yeah. sit and hold space for my pain, my experience, my uncomfortability. And in turn, you know what I'm going to do for you? I'm going to hold the same space for you. I'm going to hold the space for your journey. I'm going to hold the space for your questions. 
I'm going to hold the space for your good faith effort to meet me in my humanity. And in doing so, guess what you, guess what white people, guess what the grand prize is for doing that work. You actually get closer in relationship to your own humanity. How about mm -hmm. that part? How about that part? Which, which is yeah. really deeply deconstructed in Isabel Wilkinson's fantastic book cast. White people, you are not doing black and brown and middle caste America a favor by humanizing us. You're doing yourself the favor by humanizing your right. damn self. Um, and, and Sonia yes. gets that. And Sonia's very deeply committed to that. And it's a beautiful, beautiful, wonderful thing. Um, and, and the rest yes. of the women, you know, really uh, Ramona and Lou, just take a little, a, a little more to get there. Ebony, I hated when you were actually like in tears. Like I hated that. I think you, you know, you were explaining to Luann why the word angry was a trigger, yeah. um, you know, and kind of the history of that. And I'm sure there was probably more to that conversation than we yes. saw, but you, you know, your voice cracked and you teared up when you said, you know, it really bothered me because I've been like working my whole mm -hmm. life against this. And I thought like, okay, how much of this is, I don't want to say, and I'm not even suggesting like fake, mm -hmm. right? But how much of this is driving home a point versus like, did this bitch really hurt your feelings for real, Ebony? Like, <laughs> like, well, <laughs> I, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> okay. So now I, 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 I hear you. I trust me, sis. I hear you. My mother had the same exact reaction. Like, I know you didn't let these white women make you cry, child. So, yeah. no, so here's, okay. Yeah. So here's what it is. It's also a back to my classical training and just also experience. I'm a Hoffman graduate. So it's all, it's all, and if you don't know what Hoffman is, look up the Hoffman Institute. It's really powerful. Look it, look up. it up. It's very yes. deep. Um, <laughs> and, and part of what I've learned throughout all of my work, Courtney, is that sometimes different approaches land differently with different folks. So sometimes yes. it's the, here's the text, here's the academic resource, here's the white paper, boom, bam, Let's go from here. Mike, Luann Delaceps in particular, uh, Ramona Singer in particular, that is not the crowd that's going to be um, moved by the academics, right? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Okay, they're not gonna be moved. And when I say moved, I don't even mean like they're, like I'm done changing hearts and minds. Like I left that during my Fox yeah. days. Like child, I, I, I cannot. But what I will do is I'm not gonna talk to talk and I'm not gonna express myself to express myself. I'm expressing myself for the sake of effective communication. And for, to be effective, yep. I need to figure out in real time what is going to be most effective to this particular individual I am communicating with. And I knew for Luann yep. that there was such righteous indignation happening. Really, I think this started, to be honest with you, I think it started episode one. I think it started episode one when she asked me if I had ever heard of Sag Harbor or was ever familiar with Sag Harbor. And I had to let this woman know the history of the, the, the property that she owned. Okay. So it's, <laughs> so it's, so it starts there. It builds in the scene in the sprinter when we're going to the winery. Right. And I let her know while I'm new to this group, while I don't know Tom, Dick, nor Harry, um, I, I, I find it inappropriate for you to speak to your alleged friend, Sonia, in this way in which you are shaming her around her sexuality shaming her around her worth as a woman, and I will not sit tacitly in compliance with it. Um, and I think my audacity to speak to Luann about the way in which she was treating and talking to this woman also arose her righteous indignation. And then the, I think it was a cumulative effect of my audacity to assert the 
objective fact that I have more education than anybody that was in that conversation at that table, she, she lost it. That indignation, fact. yeah, that indignation blew up. And so fast forward to the scene where I am getting emotional in my expression of pain to Luann that is by, I had to put my, if you notice, I, I believe if you, if you look back at that scene, Courtney, you see my hand is over my heart. And that is a Hoffman uh, Institute technique that says, even when I'm, girl, it's deep, right? Even when I want to show up in my head and speak from my intelligence, which I do very well, in this moment, I'm gonna call upon a different element of my humanity, which is my emotion. And I'm going to invite you to connect with me on an emotional level. And that's what I'm doing in that moment with Lillian. You do, and you do it, you know, that, that's kind of what I recognize. That's what mm -hmm. I meant about like, you know, game recognized game. Like it's not fake, but it is strategic. Yes. And really when yes. Luann really came around, it wasn't to the facts. It wasn't like, you know what? I, she did say, she, I did bring up, I did mm -hmm. bring up education. Mm -hmm. And she merely stated a fact. And indeed she is correct. That's not what brought Luann around. What brought Luann around, to, according to mm -hmm. her, is waking up feeling terrible for hurting right. you, for making you feel bad. So you tapping into her empathy right. was was just fucking smart. Right. It was actually just brilliant. <laughs> um, and I, I just love those little moments that are kind of nuanced, but also just like so important because maybe someone else will will glean something from that that's actually useful in their relationships that they have to navigate, you know, in their real Absolutely. lives. Um, Absolutely. I know I have to let you go, which I'm so sad about, but I wanted to do- <laughs> We can do it again. We can do it again later. <laughs> oh my gosh, this is so much yeah. fun. Um, what the hell are you thinking asking about a damn election party with these? I mean, what? Talk about like, talk about- setting up a situation for a fire like right really this election what, what were you what well you know and I'm not gonna I'm gonna own that that was a terrible idea um and you'll see why when it airs and it's not for any particular crazy reason it just was not a good look um and it was one of those things where I learned a very valuable rookie housewives lesson which is Ultimately, and this is a good thing, this is to the credit of the network and to our production company, you don't have to do a damn thing. They don't make you do anything. They suggest things and then you get to exercise your autonomy as an adult as to whether you do or don't do them. I, I, I didn't really fully lean into that autonomy. So when it was suggested to me to do this election party at my home, I obliged and now, I would not do that same thing again because this is where I have to use my good sense and say, you know what? <laughs> read the room, read the read the sentiment, not particularly productive. Um, but I didn't do that. Um, so I did invite all these women to my house and it ended up being, um, you'll have to wait and see. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I'm not even... I'm actually like not even looking forward to that. Like I'm nervous, like I'm stressed out about it. <laughs> You'll see. I mean, you already see Ramona's not coming. So it's like, okay, at least that's that. So um, shock, right. shocker. Um, but yeah, so it's girl, it's a lot. This season is a lot, but I also think it's a lot of lesson and a lot of um, most importantly, 
because I'm not doing everything right this season. These women, for damn sure, not doing everything right this season. What this season really is about, Courtney, is an opportunity for, for people all across the spectrum and race and culture and sexual orientation and all the things, right, and age. Because um, not for nothing, there's a huge generational gap between me and these women, Leah and myself and these women too, right? So look at all of that and have conversations in your own homes in your own workplaces, amongst your own uh, intra and interracial groups of friends um, and colleagues, and really take these conversations off of Tuesday night, 9 p.m. screens and put them into everyday households and, and girls' nights and different things where it can really be most, most impactful. Yes. Um, last thing, like, Okay, so one thing that I'm always so surprised by are the evolution of the looks yeah. between season first season and all the rest of the seasons, right? Because a lot of people, they see themselves in that high def and they're like, right. whoa, right. right? But you came on, I mean, you do this. Like, this is what you do. So you came on fierce, fly, fabulous, from jump. Um, like, okay, she knew we were filming today. Like, yes, Howard. Yeah. Like, yes. Yeah. Right, yeah. like representing all the way, but how are you feeling just about watching yourself on TV um, like like this? Because I mean, reporting and hosting is different than just living, moving, sitting yeah. down, like, oh, I crossed my legs that yeah. way. Yeah. How are you actually doing with with that? Because that is, that's kind of tough. Yeah, listen, I'm doing all right with it. Like you said, it's different when you, you know, you're at a news desk and you're hosting, like it's very different, you know, it's, Sometimes I slouch, sometimes I have a muffin top, sometimes, like, you know, it is what it is. I, I think I'm old enough, you know, I don't think I could have done this even three or four years ago. Uh, I think I was still too kind of worried about what people thought. Or where, you know, and, and girl, I'm so grown now. I really feel it is what it is. I love my body. I love my face. I love my hair with or without makeup, with or without clippings, with or without spanks. Um, totally imperfect. And I'm totally good with it. And that's, and that is what it is, you know? I love that. And I think, I mean, I think that you look gorgeous. I think that I'm very happy so far with the editing, mm -hmm. you know, what you never know what's going to happen in post-production, but the way that you've been presented, I think has been certainly um, like better than I thought it would mm -hmm. be and really positive. I will say that I felt like you coming in the introduction to you and like oh I had a fiance but we broke mm -hmm. up because he wanted to quarantine with his kids like that was so brief mm -hmm. and so early in the world's this world's getting to know yes. you I think it kind of came off like it sounded like it wasn't the whole story but the way it came off I've seen people reacting and I could see people reacting like like who is this selfish bitch totally. like of course he would be with totally. kids. what's wrong with yeah. her did you have, like, do you have anything, I guess, not to defend yourself, but do you have anything to say about the way that that was depicted? Because I just talking to you, I'm like, look, like, this is not It had that. to be more to it than that. Yeah, listen, I appreciate the yes. question. And anybody that really wants the, the nitty gritty on that, I uh, implore you to go listen to um, my interview, well, not even, my conversation with the fabulous ladies of Horrible Decisions. Shout out to Mandy B and Wheezy. Um, we go all the way in. And the episode is called Fuck Them Kids. Okay, so it is. Okay, so here's the deal. Here's the deal. I'm not even, <laughs> girl, I can't play with these people. Okay, 
So the issue with my then fiance choosing, electing to go in quarantine with his children, my, my issue is, is this, and I want to start from this place, right? You've already heard me talk in this conversation with you, Courtney, about my faith um, and my belief in, in, in God as a higher power and spiritual gifts and divinity, right? And I really mean that. So one of the places I also apply uh, this notion of divine order is in family and relationships. And according to divine order, it goes like this, God, spouse, children. And I wholeheartedly believe that the best thing any set of parents, and I mean parents in all the ways, biological parents, step parents, adoptive parents, whatever, community parenting, whatever y'all got going on, the adults in the room, right? The best thing they could do to serve the interest of children is to have a solid, sustained partnership and leadership model for the children to feel safe, secure, and supported by. I believe very strongly in it. And I actually believe it's really missing in most family units today. And it's why a lot of shit is not what it needs to be. So I believe in that. Um, I realized during the depths of my relationship with my then fiance, he did not subscribe to that divine order. And that's fine. He's a grown ass man, um, a man in his fifties, by the way. So not a problem. His children, two of which were, I call them semi-adults, 20, 18. And then he had a 13 year old, which I totally understand. But those children also have a mother and a stepfather who lived in Jersey, had everything that those children needed. I understand there was a stay in place order, but I mean, come on, sis, this man has three vehicles. Uh, it's, it's, it's a 45 minute drive from Jersey to, to Manhattan. If something heaven mm -hmm. forbid was to really go wrong with any one of your three, a child, a quote children, two of which are young adults yeah. and also drive, y'all gonna see each other yeah. and they're not going to ever not get what they need. I, right. on the other hand, don't have any family, none. My only living uh, family member at that time was my mother who lives in Louisiana. So to me, if in this moment of global pandemic, uh, the world not knowing what's going on, I would never ask a man to choose between me and his children, but his inability to do two things, Courtney, his inability to maybe kind of navigate between me and his children, right? Which is the most obvious thing. And here's another question that Charlemagne the God asked on the Breakfast Club, which hopefully I'll get to address when I go visit them soon. Why not have you and the children all in the same home? Because, excuse me, he also had a home in New Jersey, separate from his exes. A huge home. In a perfect world, we would have all been able to quarantine together. The problem was... Could have figured it out. He could have figured well, it here's, out. Here's wanted. the problem. My ex-fiance had not done the work of curating an environment and relationships between me and those children, particularly the young adults, where we could all coexist comfortably in that home for an extended period of time. And I certainly yeah. was not going to make myself uncomfortable in that moment. Um, and then I, ultimately, listen, I got sick. I had a pretty intermediate bout with COVID myself uh, during early mm. quarantine and I was left alone. Uh, this, mm. you know, nobody sent me a nurse, nobody sent me no meds, nobody sent me no water. Um, and yeah. you know, it's like, listen, I love him. I still love him. And I know deeply he loves me, 
But if in the most uh, peril times, you've made a choice to leave me literally alone, that's not a husband I can have. Yep. That's not leadership. That's not family. So that's what happened. Amen. Thank you. Um, thank you for being so transparent about that. And like, also, fuck yeah, what? Are you crazy? No. Okay, yes, that was, you know, they could have summed it up different. Really, I was like, could they have had told the story in a way that didn't make it sound like Ebony was being petty and like, you know. Uh, no, you know what it is? It, it, and, and, and at first the headlines really bothered me because I saw several outlets write it uh, up that way. And I think, I think mm-hmm. it's because there is a shaming of the basic position like because all those details really don't matter. What matters is no. that there is an, uh, a shaming around taking a position of putting your spouse partner in front of your kids. That's that because our mm-hmm. I don't believe in our modern society that that position is looked favorably upon. I believe we live in a society where people generally feel that the first priority in any family unit should be the children. And I'm sorry, right. call me Auntie E. Call me old fashioned. I don't give a damn what you call me. Kids not running my house, period. Right. Ever. Ones I birthed, ones I set parent to, ones I adopt. I do not believe it is is fair to put children in a position to be head of household. They don't have the skills. No. Um, You know, and and so, and I think a lot of marriage, I'm very serious, I'm very literal. And not to mention, they don't have the skills. They They don't have the skills. (laughs) <laughs> and, and, and you're setting them up for failure. And I do think a lot of marriages, sis, um, and I've, I've seen it, I'm sure you've seen it. A lot of marriages succumb to a model where y'all have put these children in position to run y'all's household and you don't even know it. Yep. And I will not, yep. I will not bec- uh, become victim to that. I love it. I love that you know exactly what you want, what you don't want. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really what I had a problem with is like all I heard was, Ebony made a choice about her life or even even more more accurate her fiance made a choice mm-hmm. and that choice did not align with what she That's wants it. for the rest of her That's life it. and like let's celebrate that she figured that shit before out before we walked down the aisle exactly right? exactly so I just didn't like the the what felt like kind of shaming of of that like whatever your deal breaker is is my deal whatever breaker. that line yeah, is i could have dumped I, I yeah he crossed it and you were out dumped him like good for you like who cares like you yeah. know what i mean like it, yeah. it, it's, it's exactly that sis it's it's every yeah. person gets to decide where their their what their needs in a relationship are and what's out of scope yeah. and misaligned with that and make choice accordingly absolutely yeah Ebony, thanks so much for joining me on Acting Up. This has truly been such a pleasure. I hope this is not the last time we talk. Um, and I, I cannot wait to see what else unfolds. But I do, I know you're probably, you know, not every interview is going to go like this. Not every viewer is recognizing the actual work that you are doing mm-hmm. over there um, on Bravo and on that small screen every week. So again, like I commend you for it. I am grateful for it. I'm rooting for you. you. And it is just so nice to see. Thank you so much, Courtney. And I appreciate your, your insights. They're very profound. Thank you, sis. Awesome. Thank you. a lot going on this week you guys i'm getting on a plane tonight headed to tribeca 
I'm going to be moderating this fantastic panel about an amazing film called The One and Only Dick Gregory. I'll be talking to the film's director, Andre Gaines, to an executive producer, Lena Waithe, and hopefully seeing a lot of your shining faces out in the crowd there at Tribeca. I'll also be attending some really cool events with Queen Latifah, Stacey Abrams. There is just so much to look forward to this weekend. It's also about to be Juneteenth, my favorite holiday. And the Grio is coming back with our second annual Juneteenth Live celebration. That is going to be Facebook Live on Saturday. It is like a star-studded special hosted by my friends and colleagues, Jaron Keith Gaynor and Shauna Pinnock, hosts of Dear Culture Podcasts. And it's going to feature some really heavy hitters. I mean, I'm talking about performances. I'm talking about in-depth conversations from leaders of organizations like Color of Change, the NAACP. We're going to talk to some really cool folks, musicians, actors, influencers, social justice advocates, politicians. Like there's so much going on in this amazing piece of programming that we have for you. And of course, I am dying to share some of the celebs that'll be lending their talents to us for this Juneteenth live special. They include Candy Burris, Sterling K. Brown, Kimberly Hebert. Madeline Mills, Luke James, Jordan Hole, Byron Allen, Chloe Bailey, so many people to see. Uh, we're going to get performances from Don Richard and a really special world premiere of a video from what has quickly become my favorite album of the year, A Fire in Little Africa. If you haven't heard about this, check out the feature on it over on thegrio.com. But it is this incredible compilation album that features dozens of Oklahoma-based artists. The album is all about like what really happened in Tulsa a hundred years ago up until now. It is full of all unsigned artists and it is just a really powerful uh, collection of work and it slaps. So please check that out. Fire in Little Africa is out now. It's also a good time to check out some of those Tulsa films and documentaries that we talked about. Uh, Don Porter's amazing Rise Again, Tulsa and the Red Summer finally hits Nat Geo this week. So check that out. And just be sure to carve out a little time for yourself and your family this weekend on a holiday that I hope is also becoming one of your favorites. Thank you for listening to Acting Up. If you liked what you heard, please give us a five-star review and subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcasts. Please email all questions, suggestions, and compliments to podcasts at thegrio.com. Follow us on Instagram at actingup.pod. Acting Up is brought to you by The Grio and executive produced by Courtney Wills and produced by Cameron Blackwell.